Um, this is my mission statement. Uh, my mission, in short, is to train our athletes in mind, in body, and in spirit. And the way that I do that is obviously in the weight room, getting them bigger, faster, and stronger. But my first meeting with the athletes, I asked them, what is the three most important things in your life? And if they mention God, it opens up a conversation that I can have with them about their faith. Obviously, in my position, I can't push, push my faith on anybody, right? But if they tell me that God is one of the top three things in their life, then I can have a conversation, right? And so that leads me into the opportunity to train the guys mentally, physically, and then also spiritually. I'm also blessed to do a game day chapel where our student managers, coaches, even our players will come in. And a couple times a week when we have games, we get into the word together. We pray for each other. So that's been so fruitful and rewarding. I'm also blessed to be able to take our athletes out in the community. You can see there's a picture there. Hard to see, but there's a young kid with cancer, right? So I teach our players, like, you have a platform here at Indiana Basketball where you can make an impact by making the world a better place. In addition to that, you can see us, we're at a nursing home last Christmas, handing out candy canes, just trying to bring joy. But at the end of the day, in, in its simplest form, I read a quote recently, it says, be the person that you needed when you were younger. And that's my job as the strength and conditioning coach for Indiana men's basketball. I had two players set in my office this week, just this week, over the last seven days, and cry real tears, right? And so for me, it's much more about training the athletes, building a relationship with them, not just building results, not just bench press and squat and vertical jump, not even just winning games. It's more about being there for them. My office door is always open to help them through life's trials because those guys, as you guys know, college is hard, right? And then being a basketball player on top of being a college student, is hard. But um, I'm so glad you're, you're here tonight. You know, if you walk in the weight room at Indiana for the men's basketball program, you'll see on, on the door, it says, iron sharpens iron. And that is a verse from Proverbs. Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron. And I believe here at CSF, what you guys have going on is you're a community and you're here to sharpen each other, right? And that's exactly what I desire. And that's what I didn't have when I was your age. And I'll get into that in just a moment. But I just wanted to say that <clears throat> I want you to think about something. Ten years ago, somebody shared something with me. And they said, Cliff, there's a difference between wisdom and intellect. And I said, okay, explain the difference. And I want to speak to you as a college student tonight. Many of you guys were in class today, right? And you're studying and you're studying tonight even. You're studying in your classes to grow in your profession, to grow in your major, right? Very important, right? But you're growing intellectually in your given major. Coming here to CSF and being around like-minded individuals, you're growing in wisdom. And you're growing in wisdom which far outweighs intellect at the end of our lives. So I wanted to encourage you guys to keep showing up and keep sharpening each other. Tonight, I'm glad to be here talking about um, the goodness of God. Last week, Ben spoke to you guys about the compassion of God, right? And 
um, was was very uh, impressed and 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 moved by his message as I, as I listened to some of that last week, right? But in the character of God series, you guys are using a Bible verse from Exodus thirty four, Exodus being in the Old Testament, right? And it says this: the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. As I read through that, guys, Exodus 34, 6, I'm going to read it again because I want you to hear the words compassion, mercy, unfailing love, and faithfulness. 30, Exodus 34, 6 says, The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. You see, God showed the Israelites in the Old Testament favor and forgiveness even after they turned their backs on him. The, the Israelites turned their backs on God in the Old Testament, and they worshiped Baal. In other words, they had idols before God. And it tells us in Exodus that God forgave them for that. Now, move on to the New Testament. And if you're uh, familiar with the New Testament, you certainly know the story of Christmas and Easter. You see, Jesus was born in a wooden manger to die on a wooden cross for our sins. That is mercy. And tonight I'm talking about the goodness of God. Last week, Ben spoke about the compassion of God. I'm here to bring the news, the goodness of God. And Jesus, being born on a wooden manger to die on a wooden cross, proves to us his love and mercy and goodness. Our world celebrates those holidays, right? Christmas and Easter. Many of them celebrate Christmas with Santa Claus, which is great. My kids do too. My, kid, my wife can tell you our kids are spoiled at Christmas time. And both of my kids have a birthday right around Christmas time, so they're extra spoiled, Right? And then Easter, obviously my kids celebrate Easter, but they also enjoy the Easter bunny. I have an 8-year-old son and a 12-year-old daughter, but I want to say this, that I'm trying to teach my kids really the reason for the season is a wooden manger and a wooden cross that shows us God's love, his mercy, right? And what I want you to understand, guys, tonight is it's a free gift that God gives us, right, with his grace and his mercy, I want you to think for a moment, and I want somebody to tell me, all right, what is the most precious gift that you have ever received, all right? And as you're thinking, I'll tell you mine. When I was 16 years old, my dad bought me a truck, right? And he pulls this truck into the driveway, and it wasn't necessarily the truck that I wanted, but it was sweet because I was 16, I had my license, and I had my own vehicle, as I reflect back, that was probably my greatest gift, right? Does any, would anybody care to raise their hand? Anybody in here and just tell me a gift? If not, I'm going to call on my intern, and he's going he's to tell, tell his. Anybody in here? Matter of fact, let me call on my wife. What is your, what is your most precious gift that you received? I can, all right. I was going to say that, too. Our first child, right? <laughs> I said my truck. Over my first child. I should have let my wife speak for me. <laughs> That's pretty bad. I should have let her speak for me. Right? But does anybody else have one? 
I was going to say engagement ring was probably pretty good too, right? That, that's got to be up there. But just internally, think to yourself, what is the most precious gift I've ever received? And I, I want you to think about it because as I thought about it and as I wrote that down, right, um, you know, for that truck, I really had to work for that, right? I had to do a lot of chores on the farm. My dad owned a big farm, and I had to work, you know, to earn money to, to buy that truck, right? And what's so unique about the free gift that God gives us, grace, is you don't have to work for it. Matter of fact, you can't work for it. It's a gift. It's given to you. Let me also tell you that that truck that I had when I was 16 that gift fades. Eventually, it goes away. It's probably somewhere in a junkyard now, right? The gift that God gives us of eternal life, it never fades. As a matter of fact, it's the most important gift we'll ever have because it offers us salvation, eternal life in heaven. So when we think about gifts, there's material gifts, right? But then there's the gifts that God can provide that only he can give us. You guys all know the verse from John 3:16 for for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, for whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Again, you can't earn the gift of salvation, it's free. Romans 6:23 says, "The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord." The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. There's not one thing that you can do to earn your place in heaven. So I want to share a story just on coaching, right, and how my mindset changed as a coach. Talking about eternal, what is eternal, and what is temporary. When I was um, training these pro athletes in 2013, I had a big-time NFL player, prospect, come and train with me. And I was training this group of NFL players down in Naples, Florida. And while in Naples, it was February, the NFL combine or the draft was quickly approaching, and I was getting these guys ready, stronger, faster, getting them in great shape. One day after our workout, one of the players, I overhear him talking to another player, and he says, hey, after the workout today, let's, let's go out and get on a jet ski. Let's, let's do jet ski. And something hit me like, man, I need to go tell them that's not smart because the NFL draft is going to be here in a couple weeks. If they fell off the jet ski, hurt their shoulder or whatnot, it would be, I would be devastated. Their agent would be upset. Their parents would be upset. Their coaches would be upset. So I approached the group and said, look, guys, we're too close to the NFL draft. I don't want you to go get on jet skis. Find something else to do uh, on this Saturday. Well, long story short, my wife was with me at 7 p.m. that night. We're sitting at the Cheesecake Factory, and I get a phone call from another player that says, Cliff, we've got bad news. Chaz, who was the guy that was on the jet ski, is missing, and they found his jet ski floating in the Gulf. And my heart sank. And I just remember pushing my food away. We get up from the table, and all these emotions start hitting me. I'm thinking about... What am I going to tell his parents, right? What am I going to tell the agent? ESPN is going to be here in a matter of moments reporting that a star college football player has died on a jet ski while training in Naples, Florida. And so it seemed like forever went by. It was actually about 40 minutes. 
I get a call back. It's getting dark outside about like that. And um, they, they tell me that they have found the player floating in the Gulf, right? The helicopter's from above, and that they were going to try to rescue him. And so fast forward about 30 more minutes, we find out they do rescue him, and they're rushing him to the hospital. The long and short of it is he ends up living and making it out of this situation and meeting him uh, after this all occurred. He tells me the situation where he fell off the jet ski out in the Gulf. He tried to get up on the jet ski, and he pushed it, and a wave took the jet ski, right? So now he's stranded in the Gulf for over two hours. He ends up living, but the reason that changed me as a coach is because I now coach with an eternal perspective. In other words, I coach with a perspective of one day I'm going to go visit my players in their, at their funeral or they're going to come visit me at my funeral. And I want to always feel peace in my heart that we know the eternal gift of salvation was received by the player. Right? So at the end of the day, the bench press doesn't matter. The 40-yard dash doesn't matter. What NFL tr- team draft you, NBA team draft you. What matters most is where will you spend eternity, right? Where will you spend eternity? And Romans 6.23 says the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. What do we have to do? We just have to believe. We just have to believe. Let me tell you, at your age, I was running from God. I was caught in so much sin and addiction to alcohol, dealing with drugs, right? Dealing with sexual sin, such a dark place. I was running from God because I had all this mixed up. I was caught up in religion and not in relationship. You heard Ben talking about relationship. Here's what religion is. Religion is saying, I messed up. My dad's going to kill me. Relationship is, I messed up, I need to call my dad. Think about that, right? Religion, I messed up, my dad's going to kill me. Or relationship is, I messed up, I need to call my dad, right? Talk to God through your dark moments. I had to learn that the hard way. At 15 years old, I began living this reckless lifestyle. I was the guy in high school, I was a starting quarterback, You know, I had a girlfriend that was two years older than me who's now my wife. That's my high school sweetheart. She's older than me. She certainly is, right? And our story is a story of salvation. And so throughout my high school days and into my college days when I was your age, you know, I was struggling in a very dark place. And, again, dealing with addiction and then – You know, on the outside, everything looked good, but on the inside, I was broken, right? And I needed God. So on December 16th, 2008, my wife and I had been married about four years. We were on the brink of divorce because of a decade long of bad decisions, right? Of, you know, being double-minded in everything that we did, running from God, right? Uh, We drove to a church right outside Cincinnati, and the both of us fell to our knees at a cross, snow out on the ground. It was cold, dark. It was like 11, after 11 o'clock at night, and we fell to our knees, and we called on God to save us 
to forgive us and to heal our marriage. And though the world was telling us to divorce because of adultery and many bad decisions, right? God in the spirit was telling us you can save your marriage. Did you know the world will tell you to uh, follow your heart, but the Bible will tell you to lead your heart? And we made the decision to guide our hearts and save our marriage. And do you know now we've been saved, redeemed, forgiven. We have two beautiful kids, as I mentioned, an 8-year-old and a 12-year-old. More importantly, my wife now at Bloomington is a character coach for the Indiana women's basketball team, the Indiana softball team. She's worked with the Indiana cheerleaders, and she's sharing her story for God's glory just like I am. Had we not received that gift of salvation, right, on December 16th of 2008, neither one of us would be here. I probably would be dead or in jail, an alcoholic, right, broken. But by the grace of God, I stand before you tonight 15 years sober, clean. God took alcohol, the taste for it, out of my mouth. The last night I drank was 2008 on Halloween. And at that point in time, I was around the Cincinnati Bengals on their strength staff, right? And I'm driving after drinking about 10 beers, and I had a six-pack sitting right next to me. And we're in the midst of a bad fight within our marriage, and I'm driving at like 2 a.m., and a state cop pulled out behind me, and he's following me for like a couple miles, and I see that in the, tail, in, in the rear view. And I knew to myself, if I get this DUI, then my coaching career in the NFL is probably over with. So I took that six-pack of beer, right, and I was trying to get rid of it. Knowing that he was right behind me, I was kind of stuck. So I just prayed to God. I said, God, if you spare me of this DUI, I'll never drink a drop of alcohol again in my life. The state cop did a U-turn in the median and went the opposite direction. I took the six-pack of beer, threw it out the window, and that was the last night I ever had a drink of alcohol. Some of you guys may, may not have an issue with alcohol. You can have a drink, and that's, that's it. My issue was I needed to get drunk all the time. That was, my, that was my fix. I needed that. God healed me of that, right? And it's the grace and the goodness of God. And it's that I realized that God just wants relationship with me. Even in my darkest moments, I can go to him and tell him any secret that I may have, anything that I'm struggling with, and he will save me. As I'm finishing up, guys, I wanted to share this story when I thought about the goodness of God. I said, what story in the Bible would tell the goodness of God? You heard my story, and I hope you see the goodness of God in me, right, and the grace that he gave me and continues to give me, right, as I continue to sin in different ways and need his grace and forgiveness. But I thought of the prodigal son. When I think about grace, and the goodness of God. I think about the prodigal son. If you have your phone or if you have your Bible, go to Luke 15, 11 through 32. Again, it's Luke 15, 11 through 32. This is the parable of the lost son. And as I read this, I want you to think about the grace and the goodness of God. Luke 15, 11 through 32. Jesus is speaking here, and he's telling a parable. He says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. 
So the father divided the property between the two brothers. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country where he squandered his wealth in wild living. Again, a reckless lifestyle, much like I have lived, had lived. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, how many of his father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. So he says to himself, I'm out here with the pigs. I'm starving to death. I know my my father back home probably has some food to eat. So he says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's how I felt in my relationship with God when I was your age. I didn't feel worthy. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son in the the older son was in the field. When he came near the house and heard the music dancing, he called to the servants and asked him, "What's going on?" The servant said, "Your brother is has come home, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has his he has him back safe and sound." The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, "Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat, so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, his brother, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. The father tells the other brother, my son, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So I share that with you guys, and obviously that was lengthy, but I share that with you guys as the prodigal son because that's who I was, right? And maybe you're in that moment, or maybe you will be in that moment at times, and you'll feel like it's religion, and I can't live up to it, and I can't earn it, right? And I can't please God when I remind you that The story of the prodigal son simply shows the goodness of God. This parable shows that this son was living a wild and a reckless life. But when he decides to come home, it says the father greets him with a big hug and a feast because he was lost and now he's found. Lost 
and found, right? On your journey in your faith here at Indiana University, there's going to be times where you may feel like I'm lost. And I encourage you in that moment to find the GPS, which is the Word of God. Find the GPS, which is CSF. Find the GPS that is your brothers and sisters in this room who will help you on the journey. Because Satan's goal during your college career here at Indiana, it's very clear. John 10.10 says this, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But God comes to give you life and life to the full. Satan's goal is to make you numb and make you dumb. And the way he can do that is a number of different ways. For me, again, it was alcohol. But the goodness of God is found in this story. This story makes me have so much gratitude. I posted this on my social media this week. Gratitude says, I have what I don't deserve. That's gratitude. Entitlement says, I don't have what I deserve. I'm going to say that again. Gratitude says, I have what I don't deserve. Entitlement says, I don't have what I deserve. When we think about what God has given us, free, a free gift of salvation, just life, just breath in our lungs, just the ability to see, to walk, to have friends, to have food, to have a roof over our head. I used to do a, a prison ministry. When I was in the NFL, I would take players, we'd go into prisons, and we'd talk to inmates, right? And it was crazy because some of these inmates who found God in prison, they would have so much gratitude. Even though they were in shackles, they had flip-flops on their feet, right? They didn't have windows they could see out of. It was just center block walls. But you know what? They had God. They had forgiveness. And they had gratitude. So I pray tonight that all you guys would feel God's uh, grace in your life, and that would allow you to walk every morning when you get up with gratitude. When we have entitlement, uh, when we have that mindset of I don't have what I deserve or I deserve this, you know, I'll say this. On my best day, I deserve hell. But on my worst day, God gives me heaven. Say it again. On my best day, I deserve hell. On my worst day, God gives me heaven. I was the prodigal son. I was lost. I was broken. But on December 16, 2008, the grace of God found me at my lowest point. And that's how I stand before you today. As I finish, our first child was born. We got saved in 2008. Our first child was born in 2010. And we chose to name her Grace. Right? And above her bed, we put the word Grace and we wrote Ephesians 2.8 on the wall, which says, For it is grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works so that one may boast. It's the gift of God. Ephesians 2.8 explains what grace is. And why we named our daughter Grace is because that's what God gave us to save our marriage, Right? And now here we are, many years later, standing before you. So thank you guys for having me. I hope my words encouraged you tonight. I hope my story encouraged you tonight. 
And I hope that you'll walk out of here with a better understanding of the goodness of God, the grace of God. And I pray that you understand the difference between relationship and religion. So that's my word. Thank you guys so much for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, is there any questions before I bring Ben back up? I wanted to take any questions. They don't have to be on faith. It could be on fitness. It could be on our basketball team. Whatever you guys want to talk about, I'm here and would love to answer any questions for you. No questions? No. Are they winning a Big Ten? That's a great question, and our schedule will be out, I think. The Big Ten schedule will be out here in a couple weeks. Uh, we already have our non-conference schedule out, but our goal every day is to go out and practice as hard as we can for a Big Ten title. Coach Woodson makes the team very often look up at, at, the, at the rafters because there's many Big Ten titles, and he tells our team often that's what we're chasing, a Big Ten title and a national title. But it's going to be tough. Our non-conference schedule is already out. We, we're going to start early on in November. We play the national champion. Uh, UConn Huskies, and that's going to be a tough task. And then I think we got Texas Longhorns and Louisville Cardinals. We have the Kansas Jayhawks coming to town. We need you all there. If you're a student, we need you in that student section to make it loud. But that's going to be a tough schedule for us. So great question. Yep. <laughs> uh, I'm, uh, so I'm 42. And every year that I get older, I get a little bit weaker. Even though I continue to train, I just don't have the same strength that I did when I was young. The most I ever bench was 400. Now I can bench 315 pounds. So, yes. Yes. That's a great question. You know, um, probably was a turning point there in 2013 where I, where I started to realize, like, my job is bigger than just being a strength coach. But I think I just have to remind myself of that very often. Like, I've had to remind myself of it even this week when I've got players coming in my office who are struggling with things outside of basketball that, um, you know, I, this is a ministry, right? And I'd encourage all you guys, as you grow in your faith, no matter what job you choose, your workplace can become your worship space. And so no matter where you're at, right, um, you know, you can have impact, right, in your workplace. You don't have to be a minister. You don't have to be a preacher. The Bible says whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as you're working for the Lord and not for man. Now, Mike Woodson is my boss, you know. Scott Dolson is the AD. That's kind of who signs my check. So I, I respect that and I understand that. But I work for God, and I can't fear my boss or I can't fear my boss's boss. I have to be faithful in my job that God's called me to do here at Indiana University, and that's number one, to try to be a, a good husband, a good father, but then also be here for these athletes uh, more than just being their strength coach. So great question. Yeah, it's good. So, yeah, that, that is great. And, you know, I'm glad she brought that up because, you know, if you guys follow Indiana basketball, then you guys know that I got here in 2017 and I was hired by Archie Miller. 
And after four years, Archie Miller and the staff got fired, and they brought Mike Woodson in. Well, what typically happens is whenever the head coach gets fired, the strength coach gets fired, especially if the strength coach was hired by the previous coach, which I was. And so we get beat out of the uh, tournament early that year, and my family was flying down to Florida um, for spring break. And so as soon as our plane touched down in Florida, I get a call from Indiana University. And they tell me that, hey, we just want to let you know that we're firing Coach Miller today. And uh, we want you to stay on in the interim to train any of the players who are trying to decide if they're going to transfer out or stay here. In other words, are you willing to just stay on for a couple more weeks? So, of course, I agreed to that. And I go up. Uh, unload my stuff in my hotel room, and I will come back down, and my kids are already on the beach, right? Because our hotel is right on the beach. And they come up to me not knowing anything that had happened, any phone call that I just had, because I didn't want to ruin their spring break and tell them, like, hey, you may be leaving Bloomington. You may be moving to a different state, go to a different school. I didn't want to ruin that. So they come to me, and they hand me a seashell. And the seashell was written with a magic marker that said, look up and trust. It had washed up right in front of my kids, and they picked it up, and they just saw that. And so I still have that seashell. We have, have it in our house, and I keep it there as a reminder to trust the goodness of God. Trust what he has for you. Because guess what? I stayed on for a couple weeks. They end up hiring Mike Woodson. Mike Woodson gets here. I uh, try to set up a number of meetings with him, two or three. I could never get into his office. I texted him, never got a text back. I wrote him a handwritten letter, left it on his desk. And so he comes down finally after about 10 days, and I'm in the weight room, and I'm training a group of guys who was staying on campus trying to figure out what they were going to do. And I saw him come in the corner, uh, out of the corner of my eye, I saw him walk in the room. And so I brought the basketball players close to me because we were going over the workout on the board. And I said, fellas, I think this may be my interview. I need y'all to be awesome today. <laughs> and sure enough, they were. Coach Woodson watched the workout for like 10, 15 minutes. And he ended up taking me up to his office and saying, I've decided to keep you on as our strength coach. And so by the grace of God, I'm still here. And look up and trust played into that. The other thing that played into that is the relationship with the players, right? Many of these players, without me knowing it, when Woodson was hired and he was having individual meetings, they kept asking, what are you going to do with the strength position? Are you going to keep Coach Cliff? One of those players was Trace Jackson Davis. Maybe you guys know Trace. Trace was trying to decide whether he was going to come back to Indiana or go to the NBA. And Trace and his mom and dad, again, me not knowing this until after the fact, ask if he would consider keeping me on as a strength coach. And you know why? Because Trace and I developed a great relationship throughout his four years, but the relationship was developed in chapel, in the game day chapel, in faith talks like this. It wasn't developed over bench press and squat and deadlift. And so that's the importance of, I believe, building relationship and building community, knowing that, they, that the players, knowing that I care about them more as a person than I do as just a player. So... Thank you for reminding me of that story. So, great question. Any others? Uh, 
Great question. I would tell you the first thing that I think about when I see you guys in the room is when I was in college and I was your age, I wanted to fit in. And God calls us not to fit in, but to stand out, right? And so you guys are facing temptation, temptation, temptation every day. You're facing peer pressure. You want to be sometimes caught in what these other students on campus have going on. And the Bible says do not conform to the patterns of this world. And so I would tell you that you don't have to fit in. You can stand out. And really, God did not make you to fit in. He made you to stand out. And how do you stand out? It's how you carry yourself. It's how you love others on campus. Even those that don't look like you or believe like you, you continue to love them. And, um, you know, just be a light. Because this is a dark campus. This could be a dark place. And you guys can be the lights on campus. Think about it. There's 45,000 students on campus right now. You guys can be the lights amongst those 45,000 students. In addition to that, you're going to fall down. You're going to make mistakes. My encouragement to you is to get back up because Satan wants to continue to tell you you're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. You sin too often. You're in darkness. And again, get back up. You know, the righteous fall seven times, but they rise again. I shared this with our players today. E plus R equals O. Event plus response equals outcome. No matter the event, good or bad, the response to that event is going to equal the outcome, right? And so you have to find a way, if you do fall, right, that's the event. The response to that is that you get up, you learn from it, and you move on, right? And that's going to give you the outcome that you guys want. So any other questions? No? All right. Man, thank you so much, guys. I appreciate you guys. Yeah, thank you so much, Cliff. I'm going to pray for the worship team here in a second. Um, there was one final thought I just kind of wanted and, um, to share with you guys real quick and kind of challenge you guys in. So, like he said, you guys are meant to stand out. Um, one of the verses, it'll be hanging in my verse or in my office at some point once it gets painted, probably not until after Christmas. But at some point, my fav- it's one of my favorite verses. It will be hanging in my office. But it comes from the passage where Moses is getting ready to go into the promised land. But God says, hey, my people are too rebellious. I'm not going with you. And Moses said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I don't want the promised land without your presence. And then he says, God, it's your personal presence that sets us apart. Okay, and so I just, I love that challenge. Thank you for that, Cliff. And yeah, so to empower you guys in that, what makes you stand out isn't the things the world worships. The world worships how funny you are, how attractive you are, how strong you are, right? How athletic, how smart, whatever, right? God says his people will stand out by one thing, him. It's to his glory. It's his presence, whether or not you are resting in it. So I want this to be a place, we've talked about it, where students are confident in that and they actually believe that. Because, I mean, I can say that and you're gonna be like, oh yeah, that sounds right. That doesn't mean you're gonna pursue it. 
I sure hope you do. And I want to be a place that equips you guys in pursuing that and standing out. So I asked you guys to do a survey last week. And thank you so much for participating in that. I think all but three students participated based on the numbers. That's great participation. I greatly appreciate that. We're going to try to challenge you with things from that as we go through this semester. Because at the end of the day, like we're not in control of your relationship with God. That's between you and him. But we can challenge and we can try to equip you. So the thing I wanted to focus on real quick in regards to standing out, um, there was a question on Sabbath, right? And Sabbath is where you guys choose a dedicated day to completely rest in God's presence, right? To, to make yourself available to him and to make his presence more important than whatever your goals in this world are. You set all that aside, and you guys should have a day where it's all about him. And so the responses to that, I think 70% of people were like a six or lower, okay? And once again, thank you for the honesty. That's what we need. We also want to grow, Okay, and I think five was basically, hey, we're aware of Sabbath, it's valuable, but I really don't care too much. Or like, I'm not necessarily pursuing it. And so we want to see that increase. And if you guys want to stand out, you can come. And this, I love what Cliff said. But like he said at the beginning, what's the difference between intellect and wisdom? Right? Wisdom is like the personal practice. You guys can know about God, and it's simply going to be intellect. God is simply an intellectual category in your brain. If you want wisdom, there will be evidence that your life is pursuing him, okay? And Sabbath, I think, is one of those huge things. It's one of the Ten Commandments, right, that God gave his people originally. Like, he commanded that. Take a day out of your week. Stop pursuing all the things you selfishly want to pursue and put yourself at my feet. So, that is our encouragement for this week. Please be pursuing Sabbath. We'll circle back. We'll talk more about this stuff in the future. That was a w- real quick challenge. I'm going to thank God for Cliff, and then I'm going to pray for the worship team as they come up and close us out. Jesus, thank you for Cliff and his family, God. What a blessing, not just to us here tonight, but obviously just to IU, the campus, um, the athletic department. Um, God, it's just inspiring to see what you've done in his life. Um, Thank you that he points us to you, and I pray that we see it for what it truly is, and I pray that, God, we all wander from you. The prodigal son, the self-righteous son who stayed home. God, we just need you, and thank you for uh, testimonies like his, that point that gives all glory to your grace. Um, It's just a gift. There's nothing we can do to deserve or earn it. We live in a world where we grapple with each other, and we play manipulative little games, and we try to owe each other. God, in your kingdom, in your presence, there's no such thing. There's humility, and there's just gratitude for your grace and the gifts you give. Um, I lift up Cliff and his ministry. Continue to bless it, God. I pray so much fruit comes from just his love and pursuit of you. Um, God, I pray for the fruit of this place right here, starting with every soul in the room here tonight. Um, God, we can know about you, but you can just remain an intellectual category if we're not careful. I pray true wisdom comes from just the the lives of these students. And God, there will be evidence on our end. And so I pray that Sabbath will become sacred to this group, that we will be a place that truly doesn't have a problem setting things aside for one day so that we can truly just focus on you. Um, And so, yes, just help us grow closer to you, God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.